0: Hey folks, I have a hot tip for you about audiobooks. It is the hottest audiobook tip I can think of. If you've heard a lot of this podcast, you've probably heard me talk about Libro.fm. Libro.fm sells audiobooks, and they do it a better way. Because Libro.fm partners with more than 1,300 local bookstores in the U.S. and Canada and a few other countries and then when you buy audiobooks from Libro.fm, part of that purchase price goes back to your local bookstore that you choose. It goes back to your local community. And Libra.fm is so awesome, I decided to partner with them. So if you use code Sifpod at checkout, you get two audiobook credits for the price of one. You also support this podcast and, and my ability to make it at all. And then on top of all that, my guest today is the incredible comedian-broadcaster writer Robin Ince. His new book is available as an audiobook from Libra.fm, narrated by Robin Ince himself. It's titled The Importance of Being Interested. If you like this show at all, you will love that book. So here is an awesome like combo move you can make. Go to Libra.fm. Pick your favorite bookstore, put Robin Ince's audiobook in your cart, use code SIFPOD to get a whole second book on top of that for free, and then, you know, everybody wins. You support this podcast, you support our guest Robin Ince, you support your local bookstore and your community, and you support this company that's trying to make audiobooks better. So that's my idea for you. That's that's how you can improve your audiobook experience. All you need to do is use code SIFPOT at checkout and then get Robin Ince's book, plus whatever else you want, at Libro.fm. And then the very last thing I'll say about that, patrons of this show don't hear promotional messages like this. They just get to go straight to the episode because they, they make all the episodes possible. So if you want that experience and a ton of other benefits and to be someone who who makes this entire podcast possible and, and makes it something that can keep happening, please go to sifpod.fun and become a patron. And thanks. Final records. Known for being music. Famous for being flat. Nobody thinks much about them, so let's have some fun. Let's find out why vinyl records are secretly incredibly fascinating. Welcome to a whole new podcast episode, a podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm not alone. And I have a very special guest today. Robin Ince is here, the amazing comedian, broadcaster, podcaster, writer, so much more. I'm just really happy he's here. It's great. You may know his stand-up from big national tours or from television. He has an amazing podcast network called Cosmic Shambles. He also co-hosts a BBC radio show with the physicist Brian Cox. It's called The Infinite Monkey Cage. And if all that wasn't enough, Robin is a wonderful published author. His latest book is called The Importance of Being Interested. It's very funny essays and stories and... You know, just plain arguments in favor of the kinds of things that you probably like if you like this podcast. It's it's an excellent book. I highly recommend it. And it's out now. Robin is also in the middle of a UK tour where he's going to 100 bookshops. To share the book and also support the bookshops all at once, which is just awesome. So we will have a link about that. He's going to 100 bookshops across the UK. So if you're in the UK, he's probably he's probably going to be near you. I mean, it's not it's not that huge of a country. So uh, you know, maybe that's a very American thing to say about it. I, we have Yellowstone and stuff, but you know what I mean. He's going to be close, and I hope you'll check it out. Also, I've gathered all of our postal codes and used internet resources like native-land.ca to acknowledge the land that we taped on. I want to acknowledge that I recorded this on the traditional land of the Canarsie and Lenape peoples. Robin taped this in the UK, and as far as I know, that is outside of the usual context that we have for these. He's the first guest outside of North America that I've, that I've had on the show at all. So that's that's kind of a new thing. There we go. And I want to acknowledge that in North America and in many other locations, Native people are very much still here. That feels worth doing on each episode. And today's episode is about vinyl records. Vinyl records are a patron-chosen topic. Many thanks to John Hamilton for suggesting it and, and kind of making it happen. It's been a long drumbeat on that one. Also, thank you to Jeff Byrne for supporting it and cheerleading it. I think vinyl records is an awesome topic for this show. We think so much about music and soundtracks and, and even, you know, comedy albums and everything else. We think so much about the content of those records, the actual physical things kind of get ignored in the process, and, I, and I'm, I'm thrilled we won't ignore them. I'm thrilled we get to find out about them today. Only other thing to say about this episode is that we had so much fun, Robin and I, we, we ended up generating a playlist. There's going to be a link to it in the show links, and you will understand how that happened and why as you hear it. But I think that's really fun. This one comes with a little playlist for you, a little mixtape. But first, let's let you hear the show. So please sit back or drop a needle onto a big disc-shaped thingy made out of oil, because that is normal, apparently. Either way, here's this episode of Secretly Incredibly Fascinating with Robin Ince. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. Robin, Ince, it is so good to have you. And of course, I always start by asking guests their relationship to the topic or opinion of it. Would love to know how you feel about vinyl records.
1: Well, I. Was quite a vinyl addict. Uh, I think probably started <laughs> off, I was about 10, 10 years old. I think I was 10 or 9. I bought uh, by a, a, a UK band from Birmingham called The Specials, one of the the great... And I know they've done reasonably well in the US as well. Yeah. I know that... I, I know that. I think they've got Freedom of the City of Seattle, as far as I remember. I might might be wrong, but a f- tremendously good band. And I just started to obsess about music. And so I just... Uh, huh. I used to have probably around two and a half thousand uh, vinyl albums. And then in the house that I lived in, that was a basement flat, flooded with sewage. Oh. <laughs> and I, that was the end of half of my record collection. And it turned no. out the good half was on the lower shelf. Oh, no. <laughs>
0: do, do you have a theory why it was arranged that way? Easier reach?
1: It just turns out that A to D... Is not as good as E to J oh. and K to N is not as good as O to Z. So it meant that Morris's solo work survived, but the Smiths <laughs> did not. Uh, and you can work that out, you know, however you wish. Um, but yeah it it did it did seem I mean I realise some bits are kind of you know psychosomatic that that was destroyed obviously was greater than that which remained and that's the way that we look at things but yeah it was quite a uh, it's quite a weird time when you lose everything you own to sewage. And it's not Damn. as good as a, a song by Lowe. Lowe would have Things We Lost in the Fire, Things <laughs> That We Lost in the Poop is is not such a great kind of, uh, you know, lo-fi hit. And they're
0: like, but wait till you see the music video. And you're like, no, I would really rather not see the music video, actually.
1: <laughs> you say John Waters has directed it. Well, this is going to be very interesting poop then. <laughs>
0: it's not really it but this has me thinking uh, and one of many great times to mention your new book the importance of being interested please everyone pick it up but our we just rearranged our books by color on the shelf and so so now uh, now i'm thinking like if there's a flood maybe we lose all the purple and blue books that's how we come out of it and oh, then red up top one. is okay you know that'll be an interesting experience
1: I bet you had that nightmare, didn't you, where every time you come up with a new way of ordering, you find out it can never create order. Because whether it's music (laughs) or whether it's books, they are representations of the human mind, which however much we wish had order, does not.
0: Yeah, I found myself getting angry at some of my books for having multicolored covers, which is not a thing to sweat at all. But I was like, why are you being hard to sort? george saunders well i presume a
1: second color's fine isn't it because that becomes the segue oh <laughs> it's the third color isn't it which is uh, a problem with the spine
0: yeah that i'm then i'm writing letters to the publisher i'm like what have you done uh, <laughs> didn't you know i'm doing this but uh that's wonderful and and you said around 10 you started racking up records that was the start of the collection
1: and that was everything as well. I was tremendously Catholic in my taste. So, you know, you would have, you know, records by Echo and the Bunny Man and the Sex Pistols also next to records by, you know, Meatloaf and The Four Tops. And then I probably started becoming you know, the the New Musical Express, which was a kind of very important newspaper in the UK, was uh, for 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 music. I I in the the 80s, uh, overly obsessed with the independent label stuff kind of, uh, again, the Smiths, any band that was compared to the Smiths would be, you know, would be bought jangly rock, that kind of thing and I would be therefore suspicious and wrongly suspicious of things like heavy metal which now I enjoy a great deal Uh, Uh. I I don't necessarily listen to it that much at home, I, I think a lot of the kind of metal stuff, like when I watch Metallica the thing about watching someone like Metallica live is you can't stop smiling because it's preposterous. It's wonderfully <laughs> preposterous. It's so loud. It's so, you know, the, you know, monsters and puppets and all of these things. Um, and so I always find that if I go and see a band like that, I just smile all the way through because it's just so big.
0: Maybe it's like me. I, I was initially led to believe that heavy metal bands, all this, the skulls and skeletons imagery was, like, scary. I was like I was initially led to believe that they, like, meant it in a sad way. And then it turns out it's very fun, you know, like it's intense, but it's fun.
1: And also the loveliest audiences. I mean, this is the interesting thing, because I remember when I was growing up, it was uh, the great band Motorhead. And if anyone listening to this has, has not seen uh, the memorial for Lemmy, which have you seen Lemmy's memorial that was done? No, yeah. oh. Right. So they're all there. And the final eulogy is from Dave Grohl. And it is utterly beautiful and it kind of sums up so much uh, about Lemmy and Moted and the kind of people who are fans and he just, and by the end he's, he's pretty much in tears and he just he tells this beautiful story quite early on uh, he uh-huh. says the first time that he met Lemmy he was, I can't remember which well-known drinking lounge this was for those of a rock bent, but he sees Lemmy and he thinks, I've got to go up to Lemmy because this guy's a hero, this guy was a... And, and he goes up to him and he says, oh, I'm really sorry Lemmy uh, you know, I do interrupt you and everything but but uh, I'm a huge you know, admirer of your music, and I'm, I'm in a band. And he said the first thing that Lemmy ever said to him was, I'm was sorry to hear about your friend. That was the first thing he said was about Kurt Cobain, the loss of his life, and he said, you know, just in that moment, that this should be the first thing that was in Lemmy's head as well when he met Dave Grohl, you know, by surprise. And then... It's just filled with these beautiful stories of things like wow. he, he said, Lemmy came to a gig and uh, um, he, he says, Oh, Lemmy, come and meet my family. And Lemmy goes, oh, 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 oh. And he's got a <laughs> cigarette in one hand and he's got Jack Daniels, big glass of Jack Daniels in the other. And he walks into the dressing room and there is Dave Grohl's partner and his mum. And in the corner is his baby. And the moment that Lemmy sees that, he just puts his cigarette out in the Jack Daniels and puts it aside. And it's just all of these oh. things. And I think that, you know, what I, whenever I've gone to gigs like that where you would, you know, you might think, oh, I wonder if it'll be a rather rough crowd. And, of course, it's <laughs> not, you know, really? all of the, <laughs> uh, the rage and all of the love and all of the it, all of that is for the music. And people are so compassionate to each other, I think, very often, you know, and so they're always, yeah. whereas I've sometimes been to see some of my favourite kind of alt-country bands or Sufjan Stevens or someone like that, was it Sufjan, Sufjan, either way, and um, sure, and yeah. then you find out that there's horrible people in the audience, and <laughs> uh, and you go or, or a Bell and Sebastian gig, and you go, "What are you doing here? This is kind music by kind people," and <laughs> ooh, and you're talking all the way through it as well. Go, get away, get away, you know. Whereas, uh, wow, well, yeah, uh,
0: yeah, I had that experience at a Lord Huron concert. I don't think people know that band very well, but it's very like pleasant folky stuff. And people were weird in inside and outside of the gig. Didn't like it, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's really annoying, isn't it, when your favorite band start, attracts the wrong people. And yeah. you go, well, there's, there needs to be some kind of quiz that's done beforehand to check about your, you know, your, <laughs> your ethics, your belief about your humanity, your altruism, all of those things, your empathy.
0: Right. <laughs> the most advanced bouncer in the world. Like, okay, sit down and join me, please. Uh, there's a little candle, and, you know, you just <laughs> hash it out. <laughs>
1: Yeah, your shoes are fine. Don't worry about the fact you're wearing sneakers. But we have got a few questions to ask you. Your sartorial inelegance is not an issue, but your mind might be.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. I'm curious about your record collection now before before we get into the information, because I I, am so sorry about your loss of those chunks of the alphabet. But have you kept up like sticking to vinyl or, or have you moved on to, I'll just throw it on Spotify or whatever. I got it.
1: I decided that once the vinyl was gone, I wasn't going to try and replace it. And yeah. I don't really. I've still got, as I said, about a thousand albums, something like that, and uh, and they're still there, and I still listen to them. But then I. Do, I mean, they are much more beautiful than CDs. Yeah, cool. And there is something more. But I almost feel like because I went through that important rite of passage, which was the people of my generation. I'm fifty two. There was, you know, you would hear a song on the radio and it would be late night on the radio. It wouldn't be one from the A-list playlist and you would have to go in search of this band that you could barely even remember the name of and you knew that their song was something about a, pony with horns or whatever it was and you would go into the record shop I heard a thing last night in the radio it was about a pony and it had horns and uh, and then there was a there was a goblin in it as well and uh, oh, yeah, oh, that must be prog, oh okay I'll go to the prog section and, uh, and that, that hunt, because I think I'd done all that hunting it didn't feel so bad the fact that I wasn't going to now try and return to that vinyl of my youth because it was such an important thing, you know, having a job on a Saturday where you got your little pay packet and you knew you could go to the record shop and you would pick up each piece of vinyl and go which is the one that I need to hear most and then you would sit on the train home and you would slide out the inner sleeve and you would go oh great lyrics or really great weird picture or you'd go oh no it's just a boring white sleeve with nothing on it I've been cheated there's no further adventure when you slide out the record and or you know oh I didn't know this was going to be a gatefold you know with some really crazy artwork in it and all all of those (laughs) things and it was such you know all of that is it, it but it's, it's, it's more than just the music. It's a whole totemic kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's a ritual moment of placing it on for the first time and then looking through the lyrics and then something like, you know, I remember buying Murmur by R.E.M. And as far as I remember... I think it only has, if it has any lyrics on that inner sleeve, it might only be of one song, it might actually be of no songs and of course at that point Michael Stipe would just sit in the corner of the studio he was so shy so <laughs> and, and you think so you'd, you'd then have really? the game, what is Michael Stipe singing about, you know, and what what is what is going on and what does he mean by Radio Free Europe, you know, and and, uh, <laughs> and so all of that is, is part of 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 ritual for me
0: yeah because i i didn't have vinyl as a a teenager but my fiance had a record collection so i've like engaged my way into it but i when i started seeing the records i was like oh there's all this stuff with it it's awesome like you get all that you get these entire gatefolds of of lyrics and pictures of them and information about it uh and i like that it's also occasionally cryptic like you say like this still doesn't help nope michael is gonna sing what he sings Uh,
1: sorry (laughs) well there there used to be a a wonderful thing called porky's prime cuts if anyone looks at old vinyl you will see that there's i can't remember exactly why it's for there's a little kind of scratched code which is which appears to just be scratched in just on the out groove so so if, if you have a look there's a little kind of cut and this guy porky would actually he would scratch in little inscrutable messages as well what? so that when you got the album there was also an inscrutable i'm never I'm never sure how they did it in the process because it was replicated for each piece of vine it didn't have to be individually scratched by this man called Porky but you would you would find <laughs> little messages there that, that were left for you. This is where the messages wow. really were, television evangelists. It right. was never when you played it backwards, they were scratched into the out groove.
0: <laughs> right, the packaging's just on the floor laughing at them like ha 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 ha. ha. The little record moving like a little alligator. <laughs>
1: Still one of my favourite things. What watching those I, I I've watched some of the kind of footage of those trials where for instance uh, <laughs> it wasn't it Judas Priest, when Judas Priest were mm. um, taken to court because apparently, you know, that they, they were the reason that a a young lad had taken his life and, and, uh, there was a bit that if you played a certain bit of it backwards, I can't remember which song it was. I mean, weirdly enough, I think it was a song like Suicide Solution, which is is kind of like if you're going to implicate them, you could maybe implicate them actually from the the listing of the record. Whereas, uh, though, in fact, of course, there's a lot more implications when someone does that, and very rarely is it the music or those things that they're in. And, and apparently, if it played backwards, you could hear uh, Rob Halford going do it, do it, and so it was him saying do it. Apparently. Um, and mm. then you just see these... Birmingham uh, in England has, has my, one of my favourite accents. I love that. Uh, and uh, I can't remember which member of the band sat there and he goes, well, we played the whole album backwards and uh, this is what we've found so far. Something around here smells fishy. Look, Ma, this chair's broken. And he just went through all of the things that if you play backwards, <laughs> these are the possible sentences you hear and each one was much clearer than supposedly the instruction to do it.
0: Wow. Now I'm wondering if that's almost built into the medium, like you have this player and you're handling your on on your own end, the placing of the needle and the arrangement of the speed and everything. I wonder if that almost encouraged people to like, see what other noises this thing could make. Like, oh, what if I go backwards? Maybe I'll find Satan. Or what if I stand it on its head? Will I find heaven? I guess the opposite. I don't know. You know, like what's going to happen if I mess with this, this tool that I purchased?
1: Well, that's the thing, is yeah, because in in the in the bored days where we didn't have laptops or or, or uh, you know a television in your bedroom, or whatever, all you had was your records to work out. I wonder yeah. what this sounds if you like if you played at sixteen revolutions per minute. <laughs> that's is funny, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I wonder what it sounds like if you played at seventy eight revolutions, You know, all of those different <laughs> things. I wonder what it's like backwards. Right, <laughs> right.
0: Well, and uh, and speaking of numbers, I think we can get into the first uh, chunk of the show about vinyl records because on, uh, on every episode. Our first fascinating thing about the topic is a quick set of fascinating numbers and statistics. And this week, that's in a segment called The Stats Are Alive with the Sums of Numbers. And uh, that name was submitted by at DangerSwave on Twitter. Thank you, at DangerSwave. We have a new name for this every week. Please make them as silly and wacky and bad as possible. Submit to SipPod on Twitter or to SipPod at gmail.com. But yeah, I got a couple numbers and stats here about records before we get into a couple takeaways about them. And uh, the first number here is two. And two is the general number of forms of polyvinyl chloride. And polyvinyl chloride is a plastic polymer, it's made from oil. It's probably best known by the acronym PVC, but there's a rigid kind that gets turned into PVC pipe and and parts of doors and windows and things. And then the softer kind gets turned into everything from sneakers to blood storage bags to vinyl records. They're, They're made of a plastic.
1: Beautiful. Now, but what about colored vinyl? Do we know what that's made of? Because that was one of the big things as well. I bet in your fiancé's collection, you know, there must be some some green vinyl. So I think I've got a babes in Toyland, which has got a very kind of murky, blood red vinyl as well. That's the next question for us. What does what happens with PVC when you decide it must be uh, coloured as well? L seven was heavy as bricks. I think was green.
0: I'll link about it if somebody knows. I don't know how they do it. I assume it's just like some kind of plastic trick. We definitely, there was like, I got us a record as a gift and they were like, you can get the special one that's a blue and white tie dye color. And I was like, well, obviously I'm getting that. Why would I, if, if that's available, you know, let's go for it.
1: Can I just say how much I enjoy your scientific uh, explanation of the process? It's probably some kind of trick. Yeah, <laughs> If only we would save so much time if when I'm on tour with Brian Cox, I say, right. Brian, stop talking about black holes, the reason that the the singularity and the end of time. Just say, you know, so what happens when I go over the event horizon? It's probably some kind of trick, I imagine. Right. That would be much better. I'm going to encourage him. It'll mean we've got a shorter show for when we do the American tour. Very handy.
0: Yeah. If, if you ever need a guy to say black holes are probably real freaky, I can just hop right in, you know, just bring me in there. They're real freaky. I can record it now. Then you just have it to play it. Yeah. it,
1: it. Uh, <laughs> Which city are you in? Where, where? Whereabouts you? I am. I am
0: now in New York, Brooklyn, New York.
1: Oh well, we'll be there. We're, we're at the Beacon Theater in uh, I think April or, or, or May. So hopefully you, you oh. can actually do it live.
0: Oh my god! Well, <laughs> I mean. Don't have you might it, find but, that you've got, got another thousand
1: people going, this is freaky, because everyone <laughs> does. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful when you start to find out about how some of the laws of physics lead to what, on our scale of experience, is utterly preposterous. But which, for the laws of physics, is, hey, it's just the way things are.
0: <laughs> I, I love Infinite Monkey Cage. And, and the things Brian and others know about the edges of that stuff... Just the best. Like, it's the best how much they know, and also is beyond what we currently know. I love it.
1: Yeah, the the Death of the Universe one that we did, that was that was, that was the, the first one that we made during yep. lockdown. Um, and we had Brian Green, who I'm sure you know, is just such a great science communicator. And we had yeah. uh, Katie Mack, who's written this wonderful book called uh, The End of Everything, about the different ways that the universe might end. And yeah. then also we had Eric Idle and Steve Martin, which, you know, if you're going <laughs> to sure. have, you know, which was just... And I, I <laughs> even today, I still get people going, you know, Steve Martin, was that the Steve Martin? Yes, it was the Steve Martin, but- (laughs) But it was the perfect mix because Katie and Brian and the other Brian would, you know, take people into mind-boggling ideas about the big rip or the big crunch or other possible destinies of the universe, and then Steve Martin still has that immaculate timing for um, just pulling the rug from the strangeness of it all.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Was it was it irritating when he kept playing banjo over the speaking or did you guys kind of oh, roll with I it? I wish. Kinda... I love
1: his banjo playing so much. <laughs> I know. It's so I've, cool. <laughs> I've, I've got the Steve Martin Brothers, the album, which is kind of it's one of those albums where they went. There's only about half an hour of stand up left. OK, well, side B, I'll play the banjo.
0: <laughs> well, there, there's only a couple more numbers here, and one of them is it's a recent modern development. It's 33 years And 33 years is how many years CDs outsold vinyl records in the U.S. Uh, And I I don't have UK numbers, actually, but we have like now beginning and end dates for that situation, because uh, according to the Record Industry Association of America, CDs went to market in 1982. By 1987, they started outselling records every year. But the like new popularity of vinyl has flipped things over. And in 2020 records outsold CDs for the first time
1: since the 1980s. Yes, I knew they'd win in the end. The, uh, <laughs> it is weird because I, I, that, that's interesting. It's definitely much because uh, I, I would say in, in the UK, it feels like it was about 84, 85 where CDs became part of, really became part of the market. Um, right on, yeah. And I wonder what year it was that, because I, I would imagine it would be later than 1987 in, 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 in the UK, but I might be wrong. I, I remember the horror of i'd I'd been away for it in fact i i i when i was nineteen I'd I did a kind of tour of of the United States and when I came back, all the record shops seemed to have removed most of the vinyl so it, it was, oh. the whole thing was quite artificial as well it allowed more space for them to sell other stuff, so it wasn't merely that people said. CDs are easier. I always feel that it was kind of thrust upon us by the industry because CDs are rubbish. You know, they they really that that it's it's lovely when you watch those it, it the the jewel cases break, all those little bits in the center all drop out. These little broken bits of plastic they get horribly scratched. You you pull out the 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 inner you know the inner sleeve element of it with the liner that that all gets scuffed up. Yeah. So well done to vinyl for finally showing the way and and also of course the ultimate truth probably is that the real thing is no one believes that music's solid anymore do they it's gone back to being an ethereal thing that exists in the air
0: yeah if i if i want convenience now i just stream it and then if i want to have like a beautiful physical version of it i'll get a couple of records a year yeah and so yeah i, th- I think that's what everybody's been doing
1: i'm not in the room where i keep my vinyl but i have realized i've got a load of vinyl just next to me Ah, and I'm wondering oh, look what have got, actually, because this is uh um I've got uh, uh, diamond dogs, gatefold sleeve diamond dogs, a bowie. Great, yeah. Uh what else? I also got the Auteurs. a load someone must have sent me a load of Auteurs vinyl. That's great. Uh I'm kind of intrigued actually, because there's things that I've what was this? I, I get given things, and sometimes then I'm away the whole time. This is, ah, oh, here we go. This is a great, I'd forgotten I had this. And I think that this is gold vinyl limited edition, a fantastic band called Pear Ubu. I don't know if you know Pear Ubu. No, and, I don't. uh, This was their uh, soundtrack to the low-budget movie Carnival of Souls, the rather legendary movie Carnival of Souls, which is in many ways a kind of precursor stylistically to things like Night of the Living Dead. So there, that's that's probably my favourite bit of vinyl in, 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 in that pile. If you've never seen, have you ever seen Carnival of Souls? No, I don't know it. Oh, it's it such great. an interesting movie, it's and stuff? it was uh, Herc Hervey who made it. Who never made anything else again. It's the only movie he made. It's freely available now because whoever owned the copyright, if anyone did, is long forgotten. So you will find it on so many different platforms, and you will definitely watch it and go, "Oh, I see some of where George A. Romero's kind of the the the, the spooky, almost cinema verite of the uh, of the advance of the zombies." There's a little bit of that in Carnival of Souls as well.
0: Oh, I'll I'll link about it. I'm going to check it out. Wow. And uh and there's just one more number here about records which is 108% and I'm sorry this is another US sales figure but it's the the ones I could find 108% is the jump in US vinyl record sales from the first half of 2020 to the first half of 2021 it more than oh, doubled that's
1: interesting. Yeah. And
0: uh they say CNBC says that record companies sold 9.2 million records in the first half of 2020 nineteen point two million in the first half of twenty twenty one. And one one reason they think might be contributing is that everybody had time to sit at home and listen to records because of mm-hmm. the pandemic. They could just you know, not everybody could stay home, but people who could were like, well, if I'm finally in my living room all the time, let's throw some, some vinyl on, let's do it.
1: Well it is, isn't it? We we live in such a kind of consumer culture where we're so busy buying stuff we, we frequently forget to actually ever look at it. Yes. And that bit of suddenly being kind of in, interned in our own attics or wherever we might have been and going, let's have a look at all of this stuff that I've got. Right. I think that's great.
0: Like I have these canned foods I haven't eaten and I have these yeah. old books and <laughs> records I haven't touched. Like,
1: What a big collection of wild. tinned meats I've got. What a strange thing to have collected. <laughs>
0: But yeah, from here, there are three big takeaways for the episode about vinyl records, and we can get into them. Starting with takeaway number one. Vinyl records exist today because the disc format defeated Thomas Edison. Oh. And this is a, this is a like history of recorded music thing. There was a point where there was a battle between disc-shaped music and cylinder-shaped music, because Edison was way into cylinders. That's how he wanted to do it
1: that's great i love those cylinders they have immediately you feel you're at a seance when you hear one of those that is not me you, you you don't just feel that that was a voice that was recorded you feel yeah. that was a voice in a soul that was trapped inside the cylinder because i'm trying to think i've definitely heard one of someone that i forget it's some old poet who i i was absolutely amazed to find out that there was a recording of of his voice i wish i could remember who it was because it's fascinating some of the people who are recording some who who aren't like for instance george orwell who you would think he'd did loads of radio broadcasts in the 1940s during the second world war yeah. you know he was on many things but there's no recording of george Orwell's voice
0: oh nobody so kept no me? one
1: knows what he sounded like man and, you know apart from those who were alive then and none of them were good enough impersonators to uh say well george Orwell sounded a little bit like this
0: <laughs> right you have to establish that the person's an amazing impressionist and then yeah, to, otherwise you, you, it's like no nah, you're just doing you forget it <laughs> But yeah, there's a fun uh, like, kind of struggle here at the turn of the 19th to 20th century. One idea was to do disc-shaped media for recording music, mainly came from an inventor named Emil Berliner, who was born in what's now Germany in 1851, moved to the U.S., became an inventor, uh, and invented a lot of things. He did everything from like pioneering acoustic tile to writing a popular rhyming children's book about public health. Uh, also, he and his son built a working prototype of a helicopter in 1922 and demonstrated it to the U.S. military. So he was doing lots wow. of different things. I like that. That's a kind
1: of da Vinci quality of a life, isn't it?
0: Yeah, even, even kind of copying da Vinci. Like, hey, that's his thing. Back off. Uh, but, uh, but, and then Berliner, his biggest invention probably in, for the public and in, in popular consciousness was the gramophone which debuted in 1888, and it was the same general principle as Thomas Edison's phonograph, but the biggest difference was that there were flat discs that the music and information was recorded onto and played off of. Cool. And our big source here is a book called Perfecting Sound Forever, An Oral History of Recorded Music, and that's by Greg Milner. It's spelled A-U-R-A-L, oral. But he says that when the gramophone came out, Thomas Edison was basically opposed to it, because he had done the phonograph in 1877, and in the entire development of it, he spent a lot of time experimenting with all sorts of different media, including flat discs. And he was just like dead convinced that cylinders were the way to go, in particular, the wax cylinder, which he put out in 1888, the exact same year. So he was pretty upset that somebody else was doing it totally differently. He was confident he had the best sound quality and the best uh, style of recording.
1: See, it'd be interesting to know what the real truth was, because, of course, it's a bit like the Betamax versus VHS uh, yeah. Malarkey, where, you know, a- anyone, because my dad, he bought a Betamax because he'd read all the stuff. Everyone <laughs> knew Betamax was better. It didn't go around so many. It didn't wear out the tape so much. Didn't go around so many cogs, etc. But no, VHS won out on that one. And both right. now are in a strange, archaic graveyard. Which, should you show a child that that is how you used to watch films at home, they would laugh in your face. You might as well be showing them an old plow.
0: <laughs> yeah, man i I rewound so much tape, and and now just everything streams from any flat surface in my home. It's mm. amazing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it is It is. It is an incredible thing. And you can still get... I know that I think for my generation, people can be quite kind of snarky about all that, but I, I still think the accessibility of so much music is... is and, and then you can try and lead people to it. You know, if you use social media not just to argue tribally, but you also try and use it to actually go, hey, everyone, there's a great band. You should listen to them. You know, that is... Uh, and then you get caught in these wonderful kind of, you know, it's like if you go on Spotify and then you find one weird band and then, of course, it says people who like this weird band like this weird band and then you just keep going and keep going and you you start off, you know, listening to Dolly Parton and by the end of it you're listening to a band like Idols, you know, and yeah. it's uh, it's a great game of tag.
0: Yeah, they're a cds were so big in my childhood and then i remember us getting a cd burner and also finding out that the community college library had cds that i could just take and burn and then give back and it it felt like a, an internet style opening of the entire world mm. it's like yeah, oh yeah. not every See? experience of hearing an album has to cost 15 dollars. now i can just do it <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing But hey, I love that. So folks get excited about it. It's good. Uh, You don't have to do these weird cylinders and discs anymore. It's really nice.
1: In fact, I'll recommend a Dolly Parton song, just in case some people don't know this Dolly Parton song. Uh, Go and find the song The Bridge. I'm not going to tell you anything about it. It's quite a reasonably early Dolly Parton song. It is one of those perfect country and Western songs of 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 melancholy and love and all of those things and uh yeah so there we go that's a start that I I challenge all listeners to use that as their starting point and then maybe you can find out at the end of the day the different places they can tell you where they ended up what the final song of the day was if they start with the bridge by Dolly Parton
0: oh that'd be, yeah that'd be really fun we'll have a, a link to the song in the show and also just put it on twitter and reply with what you get that'd be awesome yeah <laughs> Yeah, let let the algorithm lead you. It'll be great. But and uh, and as far as the the songs on these cylinders and discs go, Edison worked really hard with a lot of different materials and settled on wax cylinders, but also his cylinders lost in the market because the discs were generally cheaper to make. And also Berliner did not produce a bunch of them, but a company called the Victor Talking Machine Company that became famous for the Victrola and a bunch of early recorded music stuff. Their discs were cheaper to make than the cylinders, so they were cheaper for the public. They also held twice as much music. They held four minutes versus Edison's two. So I would imagine... I, I, I don't know how long that Dolly Parton song is, but probably one could go on the disc and one could not go on the cylinder, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm trying <laughs> to think. It's, a, it's one of those beautifully brief songs as well. It's It probably doesn't quite squeeze onto the two minutes. I'm trying to think trying to think yeah. what does squeeze onto the two minutes. I, I know that the uh, the B side, I Keep Mine Hidden, I think is 1 minute 57 seconds, so you might be able to squeeze that one on.
0: Oh, yeah, an Edison-friendly song. Well,
1: Panic on the Streets of London, Panic on the Streets of Carlisle, I'm Afraid That's Too... Minutes, two seconds, you lose the final notes.
0: <laughs> just at home, like, there's got to be more cylinder. There's got to yeah, be. Yeah. Like...
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, and then uh, there's an interesting thing in the early, early 1900s Edison sees this competitor with discs and just decides to go all in on cylinders. And from 1901 to 1909, his company just keeps doing more cylinders. Eventually, they achieve a cylinder that can do the full four minutes, the same as the discs. But in the meantime, the Victor company sells tons of discs, signs people like Enrico Caruso to contracts, also rolls out the Victrola machine and becomes kind of the dominant recorded music playing company in the the US and elsewhere for a while. And in the end, Edison's subordinates in 1908 start researching disc-shaped technology without his knowledge, because they think he might be upset <laughs> that they're looking into it. And then later on, Edison caves, and in 1912, they start selling Edison diamond disc phonographs, which are marketed as a better disc, but a, he he has switched to this thing that other people were doing. And like you say, it's unclear whether one was better than the other. It's, it's possible cylinders are better, and nobody really knows for sure, but... Uh there was this brief battle where instead of vinyl records, we almost got vinyl cylinders or something like it.
1: Yeah, storage-wise, it's a disaster, isn't it?
0: It seems really inconvenient.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, fl- the 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 flatness of vinyl is a useful thing.
0: Yeah, you'd have they'd be like cans of soup
1: yeah, ever, for every
0: <laughs> album that you want to hear. That's terrible. I don't want a pantry of this. Yeah.
1: I found another one here, brand new ancients. That's a fantastic album there on vinyl by uh, K. Tempest, uh, who is an amazing poet. So there's another recommendation. That, that's all my vinyl that I have up here.
0: I should the the colored record I talked about buying was the album Free Love by Sylvan Asso, great electronic. Oh, duo. okay. People should check it out. We should we should just do it. I'll make a playlist after this. This is great. Yeah, we, that we would have be all great. this music. Yeah, yeah. I'll, throw, I'll put it together. But and. Uh, and yeah, so that's the, the upshot of Edison's situation. Just one last thing about him is that apparently his hearing got worse with age, but he was also still working on trying to make recorded music technology the best it could be. And this author, Greg Milner, says that once Edison's hearing started failing, he started testing phonograph quality by biting the wooden part of the machine. Because, quote, his teeth became a de facto stylus, letting him feel the vibrations with his body, end quote. And Edison became convinced that that if he couldn't hear as well, he could just like skip the bones in the inner part of the ear and go straight to feeling the vibrations and getting a sense of whether the machine was better or not.
1: He had employees, too,
0: so they probably solved that situation. But yeah, he was he was deeply committed to it.
1: But that's a cool image of the Sony Walkman, which is more like a kind of, you know, dental brace rather oh. than <laughs> placing it in the ears. So you just pop that in and you play the music through your teeth.
0: Yeah. If in, like Invisalign gets into the business, I don't yeah. know if that's in the UK, but yeah. like <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, they are. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> we're inventing so much stuff during this show. I think we're going to be millionaires.
0: Yeah. This is all, all copyright, trademark, copyright, trademark. I've done it. Legal mastery. Um <laughs> All right. Off of that, we're going to a short break, followed by the big takeaways. See you in a sec. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming.
1: Check. What? Hang on. It's hard to explain what happens on Jordan Jesse Go. So I had my kids do it. Saying swear words. Saying swear words. Yeah,
0: um. Bad jokes. Bad jokes? Bad jokes. Maybe it's like you tell people that you're gonna interview them and then you just stay there like, like really quiet. And try and creep them out. <laughs> it's just really boring. Because of Jordan, right? Not me. Because of both of you. Oh. Subscribe to Jordan Jesse Go, a comedy show for grown-ups. But and uh, two more takeaways for the show. Let's do takeaway number two. Before records were made of vinyl, they were made of secretions from beetles. And this is a thing I found out mainly about a substance called Shellac that mm. I had never looked into until researching this. It turns out it's it's a natural substance from bugs.
1: And there was a band called Shellac as well. But who was in the band Shellac? That I can't remember at this moment.
0: Yeah, I've heard of them and also and when I try to hold this in my head I think of the band The Beatles too. So there's a lot of oh, word yeah, confusion that's nice. going yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Let
1: me uh You keep going and I'm gonna oh, yeah. I'm gonna check who's who's in Shellac. Because I'm certain that was a good band.
0: There's a bunch of sources here. The main ones are The New Yorker and The Atlantic. And then also the Yale University Libraries have an amazing page about their collection of shellac records. But we were just talking about this, like, cylinders versus discs battle that led to discs, led to records. But records weren't made of vinyl until decades later. It wasn't really until the late 1940s that a vinyl record was common. And so for about 50 years, we had records made of other stuff, and most of them were made of shellac. And it turns out shellac is it's a natural plastic-like material, and it comes from a set of species of beetles, which are called lac insects. The lac is just spelled LAC, and it's what they secrete. and laborers will like harvest this off of trees. And the, the bugs mostly live in India, Bangladesh, and some Southeast Asian countries like Thailand. So out in South Asia, there are Beatles that were making the material that became like most records for several decades.
1: And I can now say that I should have known that. I don't know how I forgot this. It was Steve Albini is one of the members of uh, shellac who was also producer of uh, nirvana and pj harvey and many others as well oh cool so there we go that that's the, the shellac thing but i have to tell everyone i cheated i could have pretended that it came back to me but i used my phone
0: <laughs> i almost now i'm wondering if that band got its name from like Those guys being big music heads and music nerds, you know, like Mm. I I feel like it's a reference to records used to be made out of this. I'm a brilliant (laughs) thinker about music. We'll produce everyone later. I'm Steve Albini. (laughs) Perfect Steve Albini impression. We don't need tape of him. It's it's unlike Orwell. But uh, and yeah, and so these Beatles, they secrete this resin. It can be turned into a polymer that was like soft and malleable in a way where they could make records um but shellac records are heavier than vinyl records also they shatter if you do if they're like bumped at all they're incredibly fragile they were still like the dominant record basically from the 20s into the late 40s and then for a couple of reasons vinyl took over one of them is that plastic technology got better Uh, also it's lighter and less breakable and then also world war ii happened. And most of this shellac came from countries in South Asia that was a harder place to reach when like Imperial Japan was growing and the war was happening. And so apparently there was a U.S. military company called V-Disc that printed records for the troops. And they were one of the first groups to start printing records made out of vinyl because with no shellac availability, that was easier to do. And it turned out it was easier to make long playing records, better known as LPs, out of vinyl as well. So that also shifted the whole medium.
1: Talking of the fragility of shellac and also possibly the fragility of vinyl, there was, it used to be a guy I, who I toured with on a, a few occasions in the early 90s who went by the name of Woody Bop Muddy. And uh, he had also been in (laughs) a band called uh, Now the Native Hipsters who did a wonderful song called Look, There Goes Concord Again. And uh, he used to do a show called (laughs) Record Graveyard where on this ancient old record player, he would play various pop hits from the 70s, 80s, etc. And the audience would have to decide whether it went to record heaven or record graveyard. (laughs) And if it went to record graveyard, he would nail it onto a platform bank of wood and smash it into pieces wow every it was time a great act and the only Amazing. reason the act stopped working was of course eventually the cds it's i I, right. I think it was in direct conjunction with the fact that somewhere in the late 90s people just kind of went nah you got to put on c and it just doesn't work with cds that's not the way it is, <laughs> but it was a, it was a wonderful act, and I would again another band that if you can find anything by now the Native Hipsters, interesting kind of late seventies uh, um, new wave band, and also very early doing sampling at a time when there wasn't much sampling as well. They did bits and pieces of that as well.
0: Wow, well, I, the, uh, another one for the playlist is great, and uh, there, there's something about destroying records that's fun, right? And it's amazing that CDs. It's intensely not fun. It just feels like you're like damaging PC equipment. But but yeah, records. Yeah, yeah. It's right. like it's like you're smashing a guitar like a like a rock star. Like yeah, I broke it. I'm awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, that would be. I, I bet there is some footage somewhere because I know he definitely did some TV. But it was a wonderful thing to be inside the room and watch people become sometimes enraged because sometimes he would smash their favorite. Right? He would go against the public's decision like the oh, true kind of pirate nice. figure that he was and he would destroy <laughs> it I, I, I once saved a record by a band called Altered Images a fantastic band from Glasgow when we were playing Dundee I think that night we had quite a small audience and uh, he went to go and smash up an album of theirs called Pinky Blue and I still have that because it's A, Altered Images so it was on the A shelf that was higher as you know than right. the uh, right. F 2 uh, J shelf um, Above the and, water table uh, yeah yeah. <laughs> I still have Pinky Blue by Altered Images, yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> they did a great song called... They did a lot of great songs, actually. Uh, I Could Be Happy and Happy Birthday are um, very good places to start. So there's more for the playlist as it builds and builds.
0: Perfect, yeah.
1: It's still one of my favourite... When I I don't know if you've ever done that, that bit where you try and work out what your favourite city is in terms of for music. And, uh, and I did oh. this uh, because... During lockdown, you know, I just put up playlists and mucked around with stuff. And I I did a playlist for the the, the city of Glasgow. And uh, I can't find a a city that has as many. There's bands that I sometimes love even more from other cities, but never as many bands.
0: One city thing I'm now remembering because I'm from around Chicago. And now I'm remembering one of my main touchstones for records was that there was a Chicago White Sox baseball game where they did disco demolition night and destroyed a bunch of records on the field was the idea it was a promotion where like it's a double header come to the first game then we'll destroy a bunch of disco records on the field because we hate disco uh, and i later learned it was kind of an anti-gay thing but at the time it was just explosions to me as a kid but they were like they attempted to destroy the records and then play the second game but like burning and blowing up records is so toxic and so noxious and there's so many fumes that they had to forfeit the second game because they just couldn't play on the field (laughs) anymore they'd done this horrible thing there before um before the bonus episode we got one more main takeaway for the main episode so here it is takeaway number three (laughs) the voyager golden record recently became a vinyl record
1: that's nice Yeah,
0: there's now a way you can get a vinyl version of it at home if you want to. But also we have the story here of why it was uh, originally not a vinyl record, mainly so it could be in space.
1: It's such a great... I I, I talked to um, Andrean, who, of course, was the uh, artistic director, creative director of the Golden Record, and um, then worked a great deal with Carl Sagan, and then, of course, was also married to Carl Sagan. And she said it was so interesting when they put together if anyone listening if you've never heard the 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 golden record or looked at the playlist such a fabulous mix of kind of you know great classical music interesting kind of uh love songs from all around the world and from very very many different traditions and cultures you know it anthropologically it it, it covers you know, as much as it can. And she says, you know, when they had that first meeting with the big shots who kind of came in with the pocket protectors and the pens and all of that kind of stuff as well, they couldn't understand why haven't we got Frank Sinatra? Why aren't we sending, you know, his music into space? And it's like, well, no, we've got, we've got a Chuck Berry song there. And uh, and then there's a lovely thing about it, which as well is that I can't remember who I was talking to the other day who was who was eulogizing, talking about how great the the, the golden record is. And she went, yeah, there's even a a message from the uh, secretary general of the UN on it. Now unfortunately this is where the problem arises the uh, you might know about this anyway but the secretary general of the UN was a guy called Kurt Waldheim who not long after he would have recorded that message saying please come and visit our planet was found out to be quite an ardent nazi so looking no. back, when you're sending your records into space, just have a double check on who's an ardent Nazi. To be honest, no one knew at the time. It was kind of suddenly <laughs> revealed. But you just go, oh, has it gone into space? Yeah, it has. Uh, mm. Welcome message is from an ardent Nazi. Yeah, this was not a great idea looking back. But it's got so <laughs> many beautiful things on it and all of those lovely images that you can look at. Yeah, I, I love. And, you know, talking to Anne about it now, she is such a... I mean, that, that was actually, I think, in in the book that I've just written, that was one of the hardest chapters to cut down when i was talking about i can't remember whether i think it must have been in the space exploration chapter it might not be but so many interesting things about our desire to speak to extraterrestrials and what is the message that we want to send them yeah and uh and so talking to Anne about that is just you know it's always a delight
0: it's a group of people that are relatively recent like these probes went out in 1977 and then the people who worked on it are are in our time people like robin have talked to them and found out about it it's amazing
1: yeah, it's just really... One of my favourite stories, actually, is, do you know Frank Drake, who came up with the Drake Equation? No. The, the Drake Equation is basically kind of what is needed for there to be life on, on a planet. And, and uh, oh, cool. so it's all of the different kind of, you know, re- re- requirements of uh, of, of, a, of a planet. And Frank Drake worked for SETI, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, and I, I was talking to the, the guy who kind of heads it up now, Seth Schuster, and there's just a really lovely story about the fact that Frank Drake spent a lot of his life listening out for hoped-for signals from extraterrestrial intelligence. But he also, in his downtime, would go and work on kind of uh, nighttime telephone lines for people in distress. Oh, and I think there's something wow. really beautiful about Listening out for these, you know, the, this thing that would change our perception of who we are. So this, this, the idea of listening out for, but not forgetting that while we're listening out for life that may or may not exist, there is life all around us. Some of which is going through distress. Some of which needs our help. And the fact that Frank Drake, who is, I think, still alive as far as I know, he was doing both. He was reaching out towards the sky, and he was yeah. also reaching out for the people in in his neighbourhood and making sure they were okay. Oh, I
0: love that so much.
1: It's really beautiful. I love finding. I mean that was one of the things is that's one of the reasons that I like writing books because I hate editing books but I love writing them. Uh is <laughs> just that you just keep coming across so many beautiful stories about, you know, humanity and its possibilities. And and especially in the last few years that you've had, you know, in the US politically and that we're going through in the in the UK at the moment, yeah. you know, sometimes you have to work a little bit harder to really remind yourself that to be a curious creature has has many excitements to it as well and and many joys uh in within its fascination as well as that dark side.
0: That's dead on, man. and this record to me is one of those points of light there. I don't know. Because this uh for one thing, we'll we'll just link to it. People you can buy a vinyl copy of the Voyager Golden Record if you want. It's a three disc set and then there's a case around it. Uh, it's ninety eight dollars, and it it partly happened because a company called Ozma Records did a Kickstarter, and they asked for two hundred thousand dollars to fund it, and they got one point three million, because wow. people are that excited about this this artifact of humans saying like, "Here we are, please be friends with us." Uh, apologies about the one voiceover; we didn't know, you know, like like. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, joke aside, like it's it's a. Uh, I don't know, it's a a little touchstone and testament of how we want to be to the entire universe. It's cool.
1: Yeah, it's like Rusty Schweikart. Uh, Do you know Rusty is a Apollo 9?
0: Is that? Yeah, astronaut.
1: And he's great. And he, you know, often talks about for him, it's such an important thing that we reach out and that we try you know he he sees very much the kind of that that the earth mother earth he sees as being something which is there is a point where we grow up to a certain age that we must leave our mother and he says you know he wants to make sure that we are a species that is good enough to be invited to the kind of interplanetary council, wherever that might be, you know, and and I love talking to him about those things because you know, on on, on Apollo 9, and that's what I love, you know, talking about the golden record, that when we are long gone when as a species we are no more somewhere in space will be this very small, you know Voyager could probably sit in almost anyone, however small the room is that you're sitting in now, it could probably fit Voyager, It's, it's a pretty, you know, it it's both of them are, are, are not a vast size, um, yeah. and the fact that you know they were the fastest things. I know something I can't, I'm trying to remember what's beaten it now. There is something about you know, being the two fastest vehicles made by human beings, speeding out through space, getting to the edge of the solar system, and continuing on. And as you said, somewhere on that, perhaps it will never be touched, perhaps it will never be played. But we know that Bark is travelling through space, and Chuck Berry is travelling through space, and all of these kind of fossils of what it is to be a uh, create creature is traveling through space.
0: And also, in order for it to travel through space, it became something that was super hard for any of us to just hear on Earth. Like, this final pressing was in 2017 for the 40th anniversary, but uh, we'll have pictures from a JPL that's the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. They have like a gallery of photos of people making these, because they made a set of eight copies, but it's a copper record with an aluminum casing and then gold plating. And... I the sources were a little unclear but I don't know how if you could actually play it on a regular record player I think it would be very difficult. Mm. And then since then NASA made ways for people to hear it they published a CD-ROM in 1992. They put pieces of it on SoundCloud in 2015, which is very fun to me. It's it's like a, a, a underground rapper, you know, doing that. It's great. Um but also See I want to
1: have have all the astronauts um Put up because they should all put up the playlist. That in particular, you know, when people did just take up cassettes, I would oh, love yeah. to have a playlist of all of the different astronauts, the music they took into space.
0: I was because, actually was just doing one of these about uh, Apollo twelve, and I guess Pete Conrad on the mission played a lot of Elvis and a lot of Dusty Springfield. Yeah, which is great. that, that seems like good moon music to me.
1: Yeah, there was a nice we, – we when we were doing an, uh, a, a Christmas show that was kind of a, one of our science celebration jamboree things and we had uh, the UK's first astronaut, Helen Sharman, on. And I happened awesome. to also book a brilliant uh, singer-songwriter called Tanita Tikaram who uh, started in the, the late 80s, very, very young. And they'd never met, but the song that Helen took up to space with her was one of Tanita's songs, so it was this really nice meeting of uh wow. of, of the two of them that this 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 beautiful song about looking down the the thought thoughts on the world was and and in fact I know I think Samantha Christopheretti as well has taken Tanita's work with her and obviously Chris Hadfield has recorded in space as well, which is magnificent
0: yeah but it, it uh this is probably not a novel observation, but maybe music makes space more human-less, Gary. We, we just wanted, we want music up there with us right away and ahead of us with the probes. Like, we'll send them ahead, you know, to get the party started. It's great. <laughs>
1: well, well, I think it is. It's, it's that sense of human achievement that is something that you can actually package in it. You know, you can't take the great kind of pieces of architecture. It, again, like Rusty took with him, rolled up on tiny little scrolls, various quotations from great works of philosophy and great novels, etc., because he yeah, wanted cool. to take with him when he went on Apollo 9 he wanted to take with him some of you know human some human achievement
0: yeah a lot of highlights yeah the words and the pictures and everything it's great <laughs> Episode for this week. My thanks to Robin Ince for sharing all sorts of joy and humor and sweet tunes with me. Really cool. Anyway, I said that's the main episode because there is more secretly incredibly fascinating stuff available to you right now. If you support this show on Patreon.com, patrons get a bonus show every week where we explore one obviously incredibly fascinating story, Related to the main episode. This week's bonus topic is the possibility of vinyl life forms on Titan. Visit sifpod.fun for that bonus show with Robin Ince, for a library of more than five dozen other bonus shows with all sorts of guests, and to back this entire podcast operation. And thank you for exploring vinyl records with us. Here's one more run through the big takeaways. Takeaway number one, we have records today because the disc format defeated Thomas Edison. Takeaway number two, before records were made of vinyl, they were made of secretions from Beatles. And takeaway number three, the Voyager Golden Record was not a vinyl record until very recently. Those are the takeaways. Also, please follow my guest, he's great. Robin Ince's new book is entitled The Importance of Being Interested, Adventures in Scientific Curiosity. That book is on sale now everywhere. Also, if you want it as an audiobook, I highly recommend this podcast's partner for audiobooks. They're called Libro.fm. If you go to Libro.fm, you can use code SIFPOD to check out to get two audiobook credits for the price of one. So you can get this book and then you can get a whole nother book for free. And then if you're in the UK, Robin Ince is in the middle of a tour of 100 bookshops in that country, which probably means he's coming to you. We will have a link for you to find your tour stop to, you know, you know, meet Robin Ince and see him be fun and funny and great. And then linking all the other many, many Robin Ince things, in particular, The Infinite Monkey Cage, which is an incredible BBC radio show that also does live tours and events. And also Robin Ince's podcast network, Cosmic Shambles. Uh, I think one of my favorite shows there is the show Book Shambles, co-hosted by Josie Long, with amazing authors and great stuff. Many research sources this week. Here are some key ones. I got to read a fascinating book in the prep for this. It's called Perfecting Sound Forever, An Oral History of Recorded Music. That's A-U-R-A-L. And that's written by Greg Milner. Just amazing stuff. Also an excellent article in The New Yorker about records and streaming music and the overall world impact of that. That's written by Alex Ross. Also leaned on the Yale University Libraries and University of Illinois Libraries for info on the history and science of shellac. Several pieces about the Voyager golden record, in particular one written for The Atlantic by Marina Koren. Find those and many more sources in this episode's links at sifpod.fun. And beyond all that, our theme music is Unbroken, Unshaven by The Budos Band. Our show logo is by artist Burton Durand. Special thanks to Chris Souza for audio mastering on this episode. Extra, extra special thanks go to our patrons. I hope you love this week's bonus show about the vinyls of Titan. And thank you to all our listeners. I'm thrilled to say we will be back next week with more Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. So how about that? Talk to you then.